Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Hey, everyone, are you ready? Okay. Okay, so if ever during tonight you agree with something I say, make some noise, or say, um, Amen, or uh, tell us, tell us, uh, or preach it, you can say that if you want to. Okay, so we're talking about um, the journey of the heart. And it's, it's almost, uh, it's in three sections. Um, calling, falling, and redemption. So I want you to uh, imagine a, a movie. Do we have any actors here tonight? Cool. Okay, we've got at least two. Okay. So imagine a movie. I imagine this movie uh, being done by Christopher Nolan, who's my favorite director. Um, and we've, we've got a massive budget, thanks to uh, Steph's Hedge Fund and Paul, some of Paul's investments and uh, the rest of you. So thank you very much for the big budget. Um, and we're going on this journey of the heart. Okay. So imagine the timeline. Like I said now, it's calling, falling, and redemption. But we're going to start in the middle. We're going to start with falling. Okay. So chapter one, scene one, The Fugitive. Okay, so I don't know, have any of you seen the movie The Fugitive? Okay, it's a classic. If you haven't, go see it. So in this movie, The Fugitive is Harrison Ford. Okay, but in my movie, we're going to decide who the actor is now. First, let me just tell you what he's doing. He's busy running. Okay, why is he running? He's a murderer. He's a fugitive. And he's 40 years old. So, so who's our main character? <laughs> not me. I'm not, I'm not 40 yet. Okay, the clues are he's 40, he's a murderer, and he's on the run. <laughs> it's not any. <laughs> and he's not here tonight. He's not here with us. He's in our movie that we're making. Moses, yes. Okay, so we've got Moses in the lead. So in the lead, we're not. I don't think Harrison Ford is quite fitting for Moses. So in the lead, I thought for okay at this stage he's forty. So I'm thinking either Christian Bale, who's got, who's with me on that, or we always support a South African actor. So we get Gregory Creek. Okay. So imagine Gregory Creek running. I, I love a movie opening scene when the guy's running. Then you know there's going to be action in this movie. So, so Gregory is Moses and he's running. And why is he running? He murdered someone. Okay. So the question I have is how did it come to this? Um, how, how did he become a murderer? So I don't know. Murder is maybe a far stretch for us to relate with. Uh, as it, do we have any murderers here tonight? <laughs> Okay. No, no, it's not me. Okay. But I think what we can relate with is um, being down and out or having come to the end of ourselves, having tried to fix something in our own strength and it didn't work. So, amen. Okay. I've got a yaw here. It's my first one. Yes. Elizabeth. Yes. Tell us. Okay, okay so what, but I can definitely relate to this. So the scene I want to sketch is 
the year after my year on the SRC. So Moses went from rags to riches, or from, from riches to rags. From, um, he went from royalty to rags, actually. And before that, he experienced the best of what the world could have. Um, in Egypt, this uh, mega city at the center of the world. Now he's running to the desert. I, I can relate to that because I love cities. Elizabeth loves nature. But for me, when I'm in a city, I'm like, this is where I'm supposed to be. God made me for this city. And, <laughs> but, I, but what I can relate with is being, being down and out, having come to the end of yourself. So um, Francois here tonight, one of my best friends, and we, we were living as princes, as kings. We, we had this rock and roll band. Everything was going well. Um, I was on the SRC, so we went to Tainhuis to eat with the, the, not the Prime Minister, but the, the Premier of Western Cape. And we had these dinners with um, the, di- direct, um, the Board of Directors of NASPAS at the waterfront. And everything was feeling like I'm on top of the world. Um, and, and I didn't kill someone to not to fall from the top. Um, I think it was just a, there was just a, a sorry, it's just just like a a death of um, a death due to sin, I think mostly. But so from from being on top of the world, the next scene is me a year later, no rock and roll anymore. I've got this very short hair. I've become quite, I've become quite fat, um, and the reason is. So because of the stress of I didn't, I didn't complete my degree, I've got this terrible, terrible job. Um, not a lot of support from my family. My, da- my dad just said, you had enough. You had your chances. Okay, now go into the world. Go make it. I'm like, how do you make it? So I went through the papers, found a job selling something. Um, have, you ever, have any of you ever used a Kirby? <laughs> a Kirby is the best. But I wasn't the best Kirby salesman. So here I am. Um, so here I am, in the middle of Belleville, in my in my grandma's Ford Meteor. So it's a very old white car. My friend said I looked like a government employee in it, and I did, but overweight, short, very very short hair. Um, Francis knows exactly, exactly how it looked. Um, I parked next to the road. I got my usual, which was a bacon and cheese sandwich and a Coke and a, a pucky of Stuyvesant Blue. So I'm sitting there um, having had my lunch, and I'm just like, this can't be it. This can't be it. Um, I, I remember phoning my dad and just telling him, this can't be it. So that's how I relate with Moses. And I think maybe... All of you have a point in your life where you've experienced something like that. Um, hopefully you didn't smoke slivers and blue, but you know how it feels to be down and out. So that's how it came to it. So now we move on to the next chapter. So chapter 2 came before this. Chapter 2 is called The Call. So I'm saying we called by name and we called with a purpose. So in this scene, um, Pharaoh's daughter... Simone, you can be Pharaoh's daughter if you want to. Now she finds Moses and she calls him by his name. She says, his name is Moses because I drew him out of the water. And this is almost a key as to why um, his name was almost a key as to why Moses had the burden on his heart to 
draw out of Egypt the people, uh, the Hebrews, his people. So there's something in our name, there's something about being called that's a key to why there's this burden or this frustration on our hearts that we want more, that there's more, okay? And then scene three, the next one is where Moses takes the justice into his own hands. So it says, one day after Moses had grown up, um, some of the translation says Moses had become a man. So Moses had become a man and he went out uh, where his own people were and watched them as, uh, at their hard labor. He saw Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that way, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So Moses had a deep compassion with his people, his people, people being slaves. Um, and it's not like a lot of the times when I thought back at this passage, I thought he went into a fit of rage and he just killed the Egyptian. But he looked this way and that way and he knew what he was doing. And he, he understood that he wanted to solve this problem of the Hebrews being slaves, of his people being slaves. And he, yeah, he knew he had strength. He knew he could do this. He could, he could fight this guy and beat him and win him and kill him. And he wanted it and he did it. But as soon as he did it, he knew he didn't fix it. So he had to run. Okay. So that's where we go back to scene one. So Christopher Nolan is very good in these time lapses. So now we, we're back, back on with Moses on the run. Okay, so chapter three, redemption. Okay. So Moses' life was, can be um, breaked up, broken up into three sections. Section one is the 40 years where he's, in the, um, he's found by Pharaoh's daughter, or Simone, in called Moses. He's brought up, he's, he's, he's given the best education in the world. He's given all the riches. Um, he's eating the best food of the world. He's meeting other princes and travelers, and he's learning everything you will need to know later to um, have, be well-educated and write the first five books of the Bible, actually. So there's, there's even redemption in why those first 40 years happen. In the next 40 years, he's in the desert, running and hiding because he, he, murdered, he murdered one of the Egyptians. And what, I think what Moses doesn't realize is redemption starts in the beginning of those 40 years in the desert. So imagine, that's why I, I'm saying 40 years in the desert times two. So firstly, he has to be in the desert to be called back to Egypt to get the people out of Egypt back into the desert. So he's being equipped for the desert. So there's redemption in this time in the desert. And then uh, the next moment is that burning bush moment um, where Moses realizes he's on holy ground. Okay, so in this scene, uh, Moses is 80. 40, he kills the Egyptian. 40 years in the desert. He's now 80. And he's become a shepherd. And at this stage in our movie, Moses, Moses is being played by Anthony Hopkins. Okay. Okay. And and then he hears God's voice, and God's voice is done by Morgan Freeman. <laughs> so I, I won't do it exactly like that, but it, then God calls him, he says, Moses, Moses. Almost hinting at his name again. Moses, the boy that was drawn out of the water, the one that's gonna draw my people out of Egypt. And Moses says, Here I am. And then God says to him, Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I care deeply about their suffering. 
So I've come down to rescue them. So at this stage, what, what I find beautiful in this passage is God is saying, Moses, that burden in your heart, I saw it. I knew it. Um, you tried to fix it. I, I actually had a plan. And you're actually part of the plan. And then God tells him, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So he's being, he's being called again. Um, this time with a purpose, the man on a mission, hopefully. We'll see now. So on to the next scene. So scene five I call the fear of failure. And at this stage, Moses is like, just before this, God goes to a very high level of intimacy with Moses. He, sh- he tells him, um, I am the great I am. He shows him, he tells, he's the first one he tells his own name. So there's, I don't, there's all this talking with, uh, and this conversation, this intimacy with Moses. And you would think that that would be enough for someone to, ha- to have confidence Spending all this time with God, this, this intimacy, this, this knowing and revelation of who the maker of heaven and earth is. But, but not for Moses. And a lot of times, not for, if we have to be honest with ourselves, not for us. Okay? But then Moses, Moses is now fearing failure because he has failed before. He has murdered. He has tried leading his people out of Egypt, but he, it didn't work. So Moses says to God, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? Um, and what if they say the Lord did not appear to you? Then God just tells Moses, Moses, what is in your hand? And I think that tonight, that's a question to us also. What is in your hand? Moses re- replies, a staff. Okay, that's all. Um, and God's like, throw it on the ground. So if any of you have read the scene or seen a movie about this, what happens next is the staff turns into a snake, and Moses gets scared of the snake. He runs away from the snake actually. Uh, I think it must be a very humiliating scene, but I'm sure Anthony Hopkins will pull it off. Um, and then he grabs the snake again by its tail, and it turns back into a staff, and even that's not enough for him, so God has to take him through many other miracles for him to have confidence that um, he's the one that can be sent. So, I think the staff also points to the fact that Moses has become a shepherd, and there was purpose in, his, in God sending him to the desert for 40 years. And I think the other thing that stands out to me strongly through the staff is it's saying a staff, which is actually just a stick or a glorified stick, um, can become something very powerful through God's anointing. So Moses, Moses being anointed and being sent, and something very powerful will happen with his life going forward. So redemption has started. Okay. On to the next chapter. So, so the one thing I, I really trusting us for tonight is to see as God sees. Okay. So, and for redemption of the heart. Okay, so in Samuel, God says, for, for God sees not as man sees. For God looks at the out, not at the outward appearance, but l- for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And then um, a confirmation of that for me in Paul, uh, that in Romans 8, Paul says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And then the part that we always miss out, we always just say the first part is where he says, for, we have, for who have been called according to his purpose. 
game. And then I think Moses even realized this. Um, at the end of his life, Moses says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. And so how did Moses, come, how did Moses become this guy is my question. How did it come to this? And I think God saw the opportunity in Moses in the fact that he saw Moses' heart. And he knew Moses would have a heart. Moses had this burden in his heart for his people. And God knew he could use that. And in, he used Moses powerfully to lead the people out of Egypt. There's all the, the plagues and the miracles, the, the sea parting. Um, and through all of this, all these miracles, there's also the very intimate journey that God walks with Moses. So at one stage, Moses even asks God to, I want to see your glory. And God's like, wow, that's, that's a big ask. But go hide behind that rock, and I'll pass. And you're not allowed to see my face, but you're allowed to see my back. And after that, which is, must have been amazing, and after that, uh, God gives him the Ten Commandments, which I also think should have, would have been a very intimate thing, uh, the Ten Commandments, because number six is, thou shalt not murder. And Moses would have been like, oh, okay, oops, got that one wrong. Um, so even in that scene in the Ten Commandments, there's a, there's a massive revelation of God's mercy to me. And Moses came down the mountain with his face shining after all this intimacy, or after, after all this time with God, and he had to wrap his ha- head with a duk or lapel cl- cloak, cloth. Um, anyone know the Hebrew word? Um, so that the people could interact with them. So, to that, at the end of his life, um, Moses died, and I'll get back to what he said here now, but the Israelites mourned for 30 days on end after Moses died. So they loved him as a leader. And I thought to myself, which leaders today would bring us to mourn for 30 days? Um, I couldn't really think of one where we mourned 30 days, would be willing to mourn 30 days. Because our culture has come to a, a point where we celebrate um, victory in a different way. We celebrate the, the innovators or the guys that are willing to offer up um, sometimes even their calling to bring us something that brings us joy. So one example is, for me is Steve Jobs. In our culture, we, we celebrate Steve Jobs and he's a hero. And I, I love the, the writer Walter Isaacson. He does a lot of autobiographies. He did um, Steve Jobs also. And in the piece in um, the obituary in Time magazine, he tells about that last couple of weeks with Steve Jobs. And at that stage, Steve Jobs was, he was curled up in pain. He couldn't walk up the stairs of his own house. He was lying on the bed of um, the one of the ground floors, and Walter was with him, and he, Walter asked him, why do, for a guy that was so um, rebellious, why would you spend all this time with me now to have me write this biography? Why would, why would you want to see a biography written about your life? And Steve Jobs rep- replied, for my kids, um, so that they can know me. And, you know, that just speaks to what 
what we sometimes espouse, or if I think of the dreams in our own hearts or my heart, what what would I want? Um, sometimes what we what I want is what I want to be Steve Jobs. I want to I want to save the world or make the world love me or uh, invent an iPhone or um, what's next? Some eyeglasses maybe. But but Moses Moses understood this. Moses knew that God looks at the heart. And and then we, then there's different heroes. So Francois won't mind this. I've I've spoken to him about it before. But uh, Francois' dad uh, was a, was a guy like that to me. Um, his father was a, a duomni at the NG at the NG church. He's here in Pretoria, and he served served faithfully week by week, year by year. And when his dad died, it it really touched my heart deeply. And I, like Stefan said, I wrestled I wrestled about it with God, and I asked him who was Francois' dad. And I was, we were still in Cape Town. We were um, at the shofar there, and it's in the Presbyterian Church. And on the walls of the Presbyterian Church, they have these honor rolls for the people that, that died in the First World War. And God just showed me, and he said he's got, his dad was one of those soldiers. He was a soldier for, a soldier for Christ. And to me, that's, that was amazing. That was like, that's, a, that's what I want to be one day. So I want to soldier on in this life, even if it means it's going back to the desert after 40 years in the desert. If that, what, if that is what God wants, I'll do it. Um, and only he, can make, only he can help me do it or make me do it. So if, if Moses says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, he's, he's prophesying. He's saying this will come. And just before this, he's actually telling them that they will... Once again, once again, going back into captivity, and and even after he told them all these things, they mourned for thirty for thirty days on end about his life. Um, so he's he's giving them this re- this really bad news, which is which in a certain sense is actually the good news also. Um, and he says, so that you may love with all your heart and with all your soul and live. So who does that make you think about? Who said those same same type of words? Yes, Jesus, right answer. I think, to a large extent, yeah, Moses is prophesying about Jesus coming. So, somehow God will circumcise your hearts or our hearts and the hearts of our descendants so that we may be able to love Him with all our heart and all our soul and live. How is that possible without, without Jesus? And Jesus showing, the, showing us that way and having done it Himself. So he allowed himself to be circumcised. He allowed himself to be crucified, which is the ultimate form of um, circumcision, which is just the killing of everything of the flesh, um, paying that price for us so that we can, so that he paves the way for us to be able to love God um, and live. And that's, yeah, that's, that's my hope for us is that, that we may know Jesus, so that we may know God, so that we may live. Okay, so there's, there's no more slides, but I've, I've got one or two things that I still want to share with you. So I think the story of Moses speaks to us. It speaks to our hopes and dreams. It speaks to our aspirations. 
Uh, it speaks to our failures. Um, it also speaks to our potential. Um, the potential for our hearts to know God's heart. Uh, the potential to be to make a 180 degree turn out of the desert back to something we fear um, to, to lead people out of captivity so I think there's, th there's three, three groups I think it speaks to it speaks to people that have never known God so if you've never known God and you've never experienced this it really speaks to you because um, it shows that you can be a murderer and know God and I've got that hope and that, uh, I think, um, I've got that dream for everyone that they will know, know God and they will know Jesus. And I think it speaks to, to all of us that know God already. It speaks to knowing Him deeper and knowing Him, knowing His heart for our lives, knowing what He wants for our lives. And I think it speaks to us as a church also, as, as shofar. Um, and I actually want to ask, is the band still here? Thanks so much for tonight, guys. I loved, uh, I loved the worship tonight, and how you just pushed in deeper. Um, and don't you want to come do it again? Okay, so I want us to, to worship together, and I think part of this journey as Christians, or especially for us in Shofar, has been a journey of having a calling, and then having fought or having failed, in, in a sense, and almost, I, f I feel as, as Shofar, we have been ashamed of being Shofar. I don't know if anyone else feels like that. Um, I definitely at some stage felt like it, and so I was pushed to really consider this fact and think about it a bit. Why, why the orange? Why the flags? Why the why the name? Um, but I think there's something beautiful about that name. I think we were called to be that name. And I, th and I was very hopeful tonight to hear some shofar. It's it's really freaky if you're not used to it. So sorry, Francois, for that. But it was it was also cool because. If you go read up about the word shofar a bit, um, it, one thing that it means is um, yobel or jubilee. And it was, it was I think, the redeemed, the redeemed form of shofar is supposed to proclaim the year of jubilee. We proclaim the gospel, which is the good news. We can take the good news to people. And we're, not, we're not supposed to bring the judgment to people. We're supposed to bring the good news to people. And I think there's... I think it's time to take the good news to people again. So I actually want us to stand up. Let's worship. Let's um, proclaim the good news. And speci I especially feel this verse is, um, came out in intercession tonight. And when I wanted to share about Shofar more, uh, this is one of the verses that really stood out for me. It's, uh, in Luke 4, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, 
and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, or the year of Jubilee. So tonight, yeah, Lord, I'm, I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, tonight we just proclaim the year of Jubilee, Lord. We just proclaim the, Lord, uh, the year of um, good news. Thank you, Lord, for your gospel. Thank you for Jesus that was willing to walk the road that we couldn't to complete the to complete the good work that you started in his life by ending it on the cross, Lord, to be circumcised, to be to, to be torn apart for us, Lord. And I thank you for that. I thank you for paying that price for us so that we can tonight here worship you in freedom, Lord. When you heard Jacques talking about God doesn't look uh, like man looks. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks to the heart. When you hear that, you... you you sort of feel guilty and you sort of feel bad because you you realize God's not going to like what he sees. In fact, um, I, I even felt God saying that that when you yourself look at your own heart, you don't like what you see. And um, you you realize, like uh, Jock read in, in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, that, that your heart needs to be circumcised. There's something in your heart that needs to be cut away. And it's something that I just sense you've realized before. You've realized there's something that, that needs to be cut away. There's something that, that doesn't belong there. There's something, there's a sinful nature that needs to be cut away. Um, but I, I just feel God says you're going to walk out of here. You're in danger of walking out of here with your guilt and, and with a desire to have your heart circumcised. But you're going to walk out, you're going to make the same mistake that you've always made in the past you're going to try and circumcise your own heart and I just feel God says that's not what he wants you to do because that's not what that scripture says Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 doesn't say you must go and circumcise your heart Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and I just want to read you the you know just a scripture or two in the New Testament which is the fulfillment of that in um, Colossians 2 verse 11 it says in him that in Christ you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature that flesh that thing that needs to be cut away not with a circumcision done by the hands of men but with a circumcision done by Christ and, and uh, any circumcision that we can do on ourselves with, with our own hands will not cut it, excuse the pun. It, it, it won't have the desired effect. Many of us have tried to circumcise our own hearts and, and it, it doesn't work. You're going to walk out with the same guilt and with the same frustration and with the same lack of change. You're going to be that, that butterfly with broken wings in the cocoon on the verge of metamorphosis but not quite there. But Jesus... The circumcision of Christ is a circumcision that only Jesus can do. You, humans can circumcise your flesh, but only Christ can circumcise your heart. Only Jesus can reach that deep inside of our hearts and cut away what needs to be cut away. Um, in, at the end of Romans 2, it says, um, verse 29, A man is not a Jew, he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Now a man is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. 
Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God who looks upon the heart. The only heart that God will praise is a heart that he has circumcised. You see, Moses could only talk about the circumcision of the heart. Jesus can actually do it. And, and I, I just want to urge you, I just want to, I want to plead with you tonight. Don't walk out of here with your guilt. Don't walk out of here with a sense that there's something wrong with my heart. I don't like what I see in my heart. And I know God probably doesn't like what he sees in my heart. And go and try and fix it yourself. Don't do that. Don't do that to yourself again. You've done it before and it's, it's failed every time. Don't do it again. Come to Jesus. Let him do heart surgery. Let him circumcise your heart. Let him do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Just close your eyes. And um, I'm, I'm not... If, if, that, if you relate to that in any way, while we're worshiping, I just want you to come forward. Um, not, not for me to pray, to pray for you. I'm not going to pray for you. But I, I just want you to come forward um, as, a, as a sign that you're coming to Jesus. And you're saying to Jesus, Jesus, I need you to do something in my heart. I know what's wrong. And I've tried to fix it in the past and it hasn't worked. I need you to... I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. I need you to fix it. Lord God, we just come to you this evening and we acknowledge, Lord God, that we cannot do for ourselves, Lord, what, what needs to be done. We, we, are, we are helpless, Lord God. We, we, we see the problem, but we are helpless to fix it in our own strength, Lord. We need you, Lord Jesus. We need your Holy Spirit. Lord, only you can do that metamorphosis. Only you can put us in that cocoon. Only you can turn us from a, only you can give us wings and, and cause us to fly. Only you can do that. And, and Lord, we are tired of trying to deal with our own guilt. We need you to deal with it, Lord. We are tired of trying to deal with our own hearts. We need you to deal with it. Jesus, won't you come and circumcise our heart? Won't you come and do heart surgery like only you can? Thank you, Lord, that you say in your word that the broken and contrite heart you will not despise. And I pray, Lord, for every heart that is broken and contrite here tonight, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that as they are brought before you, those broken, contrite hearts are brought before you, Lord in humility, that you will not despise them, but that you will circumcise them as you promised. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.com. Dark, I'm the one who gave his life for